You've seen her as a national correspondent reporting from the White House, the Pentagon, and Capitol Hill for ABC and NBC. Andrea McCarran was an award-winning journalist for over 20 years. And now, she's gone to the dogs. But in a good way. Andrea McCarran, welcome to The Cultural Scavenger. Andrea, you covered the White House for ABC News, traveling with the president on Air Force One. You covered the White House, Pentagon, and Capitol Hill for NBC News. You got a fellowship and taught at Harvard. I saw you reporting when uh, Barbara and I were living in the Maryland suburbs back in the late 80s. And having seen you over the last few years, I swear you've got a painting up in your attic because you haven't aged at all. (laughs) Well, thank you, Andy. Uh, It's great to be on your podcast. I absolutely love what you're doing. And had I known that there was flattery involved, I would have accepted even quicker. (laughs) And there's more. Uh, You've earned 23 Emmy Awards, three Murrow Awards, and just about everything else in between, which I guess is about an award every year that you were a journalist. Wow, I've never looked at it that way. Yeah. That's an interesting idea. You must have started when you were a child. Very, Um, very young. And you can add one more award from me, uh, if you can call it that. We knew of you when we lived in Maryland, but when we met in person in 2015 and I was in the middle of this media whirlwind at the Capitol, I was being moved from one cluster of correspondence to the next. And then at the very end, there you were. And you had a service dog with you, which I thought, this is unusual. And when the camera rolled, you asked me the most profound and heart-wrenching question I've ever been asked, before or since. And it was, How does the coolest dad in the world deal with the loss of the coolest daughter in the world? It just shook me to my core. I, I don't know what I said. I don't know what an answer uh, I gave, but it was it was such an honor, and I think about it all the time. And I, I had to mention that moment in my book. It's interesting, Andy, because that ended up. You know, I've interviewed probably thousands of people over the course of a thirty-two year career, but there was something pivotal about that moment. And of course, the only reason I knew to ask you that question is I had researched you and Allison, your beautiful daughter. And I've thought about her all the time, and I don't even think I've shared this with you, that her compassion and her empathy and her the way she conducted business as a journalist completely changed the course of how I have since meeting you and learning her story. You know, yes, we're journalists. The awards are certainly nice. It's nice to get some kind of recognition. But it's so much more important to be a human being first and a reporter second. And I watched that with Allison's reporting. And I remember her winning a posthumous Emmy Award for that. You know, journalists get an unfair, bad rap sometimes. Sometimes they deserve it, but sometimes they don't. Most often they don't. Journalism matters, but being a decent human being matters more. Thank you. She, when people ask me, 
to summarize out what was she like. And I always come back with, she was a kind soul. And I think that conveyed in the way she went about her business, as you discovered when you, uh, when you researched her, she was always a kind soul. She always protected her sources. She always took care of them. And that's the way she operated. And I'm flattered that I'm impressed. I credit Allison. I credit Allison and I credit my raising service dogs for changing the focus, changing my life in so many respects. But it's all about life is all about relationships. Yeah. Whether it's a police chief she was friendly with or I was friendly with, you know, I, I sort of have a rule of thumb that has impacted my reporting. Almost always with my sources, I will meet with someone pre-pandemic or call them or have some interaction three separate times before I ever ask for anything. Yeah, it is. It's all about trust. Well, tell me, we met Bunce that day. Uh, (laughs) uh, The other thing I recall is I was wearing a turquoise shirt. That was the one thing I did not realize turquoise was Allison's favorite color. Yeah. Well, it's like Allison Winks. I mean, there are winks in life, and you know that's probably uncoincidental coincidence that that took place. Tell me about how you got into vet service dog training. Being a journalist, vet service dog trainer. How, <laughs> Isn't how did that this happen? the craziest thing? Um, I, you know, we all have whether we write them down or express them. We all have these bucket lists in life. And one item on my bucket list was raising a service dog. And I started showing and training dogs as a 10-year-old. My dad took me to the Governor's Foot Guard Dog Show in Hartford, Connecticut, and I was entranced. I loved dogs. I loved animals. And I thought, how fun to do this. And that changed my life as well. So I became, I showed dogs up and down the East Coast. I really grew up pretty fast because there are not that many children who do it. Um, All of my jobs involved dogs, whether I was working at a veterinarian's office or training people how to show or whatever it was. And so it was kind of a natural move to raise service dogs later in life. But first I had to be able to do it on the job. I mean, raising a service dog is complex. Not only do you take the dog to work with you every single day, you bring it home at night, but you also have to train it, you know, 30 or 40 commands before they go into an advanced training and then get placed with a wounded warrior. At the time, I guess that you started this, you were at WUSA, correct? I was at WUSA 9 and I was really lucky that I had a supportive boss. And I, and I asked him, it was Bill Lord. Um, I said, Bill, what do you think about the idea of me raising a dog on the job? And he immediately loved it. And this was before the Today Show puppy and everybody else kind of jumped on the service dog wagon. And But none of us realized how challenging it would be because I would be on breaking news stories with a puppy with me. And, you know, the yeah. puppy still has to be exercised, has to be fed this many times a day. Had to, it was like taking a newborn baby with me to work. Sure. But at that point in my career, I'd been doing I'd been practicing journalism for at least 20 years. So there was a lot I could do blindfolded, you know, just intuitively. But it completely changed the nature of my life and my business in that 
you realize, and you know this as a podcaster, everyone has a story. If you stop and take a moment to listen to it. And everybody stops you when you have a cute puppy. Yeah. <laughs> and mostly it was, I live near Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. So I was coming across a lot of veterans who would stop. And maybe they wouldn't have stopped. For, I know they wouldn't have stopped to chat with me. But seeing a dog that was training for service really touched them. So my world became veterans, wounded warriors, people with traumatic brain injury, spinal cord injury. And fast forward to today, and I'm working on my fourth service dog. And uh, I'm on the board of America's Vet Dogs and the Guide Dog Foundation for the Blind. And it all goes back, and I'm bringing this back to Allison. It is looking at your world with compassion and caring about others before caring about yourself. Wow. So Bunce was your first dog, right? He was my first. And I hit the jackpot in terms of recipients. You know, every single day somebody says, how can you do this? How can you nurture, love, raise, train a puppy for 18 months and then say goodbye? And I'll tell you how it's meeting the recipient. So Bunce, who was named for this most delightful Marine Corps veteran, Justin Bunce, he is a very important part of my life now, severely injured serving our country in Iraq. And so I got to know him, but I also have become great friends with the recipient, a guy named Dan Bershinsky, an Army captain who lost both his legs at the age of 25 serving our country in Afghanistan. He lives in Atlanta and texts me photos, videos of the dog. But it really comes down to my mantra in life, which is look for opportunities to do something for someone else. You answered the question that I was going to ask you. How, you know, how do you part with these dogs? I've got two golden retrievers and it would just absolutely break my heart to part with them. So it sounds like you can steal yourself emotionally to say goodbye to a degree, but then... I, well, you cry a, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> In yeah. fairness, you really do cry a lot. It is brutal. And more than my feelings, I do worry about the dog because these dogs become so attached to you. And I worry, they, you know, the entire time I'm raising them, I know they're going at yeah. a certain point. Yeah. They don't know they're leaving me. That being said, golden retrievers and labs are... They live in the moment. We can all learn mm -hmm. so much from dogs. They love to work. Yeah. They love learning even the most absurd new commands. They just love it. And they love people. Did, and, you know, they don't think about, oh, I'm not with Andrea anymore. Yeah. Did you ever read the book Dog is Love? I have not. Should I add it to my reading? Yeah, you should add it to you. This is a professor in, I believe he's in the UK, and he did this study about do dogs really love us or is it just a conditional thing? It's like, okay, I love this owner because he's going to feed me. And he, he's a dog owner himself, but he wanted to break it down scientifically and go, yes, there is a correlation. Dogs do love and they're the only animal on the planet that has the capacity to love us. So yeah, I would I would definitely read that. It was just 
profound. You know, it didn't tell I us love, anything that yeah. we didn't already know, but it was yeah, like. Yeah, I was going to say it's probably a combination. <laughs> they do love us, but they also love the one they're with. Yeah. And even to the point where he did these tests with domesticated gray wolves, it's a fascinating book. And it showed that there are dogs that they preferred to be around you versus eating. Oh, without question. They're so, you know, I always tell people you can learn a lot from your dogs. You know, it's the unconditional love. You come home. If I go out for whether it's five minutes or an hour, Ace, my current service dog Mm -hmm. in training, acts like he hasn't seen seen you for years. I know. I know. Absolute joy. Dogs do not have bad days. No, they don't. And so many people have reached out to me and said, how can I do this? Or I would love to raise a service dog, but I, I just, I don't have the time, the money, the support at work. But everyone Every one of us can do something philanthropic, it, mm-hmm. and it doesn't even involve the exchange of money. You know, you can help service dogs and the whole cause just by sharing posts on social media. Think about I when I first got to D.C. and I didn't have a job, I did a lot of volunteer work. And one of the things I did was read the newspaper for the blind. Look, uh-huh. I was going to read the paper anyway. I just read it out loud. <laughs> In a studio. So people don't, I think everybody underestimates their worth. Every one of us can do something, whether maybe it's reaching out to a World War II veteran, maybe it's reaching out to a more recent veteran, a Vietnam veteran, an Iraq, Afghanistan. There's something for everyone. And I try to impart that. You do it very well. Let's talk about your career in journalism. How did you get started? What was it like flying on Air Force One? Walk me through uh, the history there. Uh, Obviously, you started as a child, so we know that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the funny thing, Andy, is that when I was five years old, my dad, as a birthday gift, and I think this is such a strange birthday gift for a five-year-old, he gave me a tape recorder. (laughs) So I decided at age five I was going to be a journalist. Wow. And I interviewed everyone in the neighborhood, and I would ask these burning questions like, tell me your life story, and then I would record them. And this is eons before podcasts or social media or the (laughs) internet. I had no place to share them, but I kept at it. And so I knew when I was five that I was going to be a journalist. And I also, that same year, my love of animals uh, made me a strict vegetarian. And I'm both of those things to this day. Of course, it's sort of morphed a bit. Now I'm a more of a professional storyteller for PenFed Credit Union. Um, and I get to tell a lot of military and veterans and military family <laughs> stories because that's what we do. But in terms of my career, it was, I mean, it's kind of a cliche to say front row seat to history, but it really was. I was lucky enough to travel on Air Force One for about two years as a weekend White House correspondent for ABC News. And I've just covered all of official Washington, going to the Pentagon, going to Capitol Hill, White House. I mean, you name the agency and I've been there. Traveling on Air Force One, not going to lie, was amazing. Um, it was under uh, President Clinton's administration. So it involved extensive travel. He was on the move every weekend. He didn't require much sleep. It was all an incredible experience. But even wilder was that I traveled nine months pregnant on Air Force One. Wow. Well, and that's uh, that was going to be a follow-up question. I know you were trying to raise a family with, with one of my all-time favorite people, your husband, Bill. So was the constant travel 
uh, a factor in in saying, you know what, I need to not travel so much. Is that what led you to to um, WUSA well, nine? It's interesting. I did. I went from national network news back to local news when I had three children under the age of five. Mm-hmm. But Bill and I tag teamed. I don't know. In retrospect, I have no idea how we did this. So we had these three little kids. And what we did, one of the reasons I worked weekends is Bill and I worked opposite shifts. Whether I was nightside and he was daytime, I worked weekends. So we never used a nanny. We raised our own children. Oh, that's um, great. And, you know, had, a, you know, maybe a one day babysitter to sort of cover a gap. But it was pretty, it was a very, very busy time, but I wouldn't give it up for anything. Um, It was exhausting, though. (laughs) But mostly in retrospect, was it exhausting? You know, you you always, you know, you do what you got to do. Yeah. You know, when did you decide to call it a day as a journalist? I know that your your Twitter says you're a recovering journalist. Yeah, I never decided to call it a day as a journalist. One of the amazing things that raising service dogs brought me was an introduction to my current CEO, James Skank at PenFed. He learned I was raising service dogs and wanted to meet Nigel, my second service dog. Mm -hmm. So I met with him and we immediately hit it off. He said, I think this is something I'd like to do at PenFed. So I came to PenFed, did a little presentation. PenFed Ace is now the eighth service dog in training company-wide we've raised. And James challenges CEOs all across the country. Do what we're doing. You know, stop talking about making an impact on the world. Do it by supporting your employees, letting them raise service dogs on the job. Um, And I don't know of another company on the planet that has done what we have done, raising eight. Um, But so I kept in touch with James. We became friends. We worked on a couple of fundraisers, some philanthropic work together. And then one day he said he we were meeting for coffee and he said, how are things going in local news? And I said, they're going great. You know, I'd always planned to retire in local news. And I said, I just wish I could do more stories that mattered. Focus full time on, you know, military families, veterans, the, you know, active duty service members and their their needs. And he said, what would your dream job be? And no one had ever asked me that. And I said, you know what? I don't know. I'll get back to you. And I realize now, Andy, that he may not have meant it. It might have just been small talk. (laughs) But that night, the wheels of my brain were turning. And the next morning, I woke up and I texted him and I said, figured out my dream job. It's leading a team of professional digital storytellers. And we would call it PenFed Digital. And I hit send. And I don't know if you've ever hit a text or an email and thought, oh, my God, what have I done? And I <laughs> many, did. Many times, I'm afraid, for the wrong it, reasons. Right, right. <laughs> I'm like, you can't take back a text. And I thought, oh, this is so embarrassing. He was probably making small talk. Anyway, two hours later, he offered me the job, and it had already been cleared through his board. Wow. So I have been here ever since. One more example of, you know, my wanting to give back by raising service dogs mm-hmm. ended up being an incredible game changer, life changer for me. Your work has uh, reached an audience of more than 80 million. 
Um, 81 million just yeah. on Facebook last wow. year from and scratch. It's, it's all gone to the dogs, so to speak. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm not, I, you know, I got to tell you, of course, we have a lot of dog content. So I basically run all of PenFed Credit Union's um, social media. So, and we're very non-traditional. I mean, you mm-hmm. would think that you would only go to a credit union social media for financial tips or right. what have you, but we do stories that matter. I think a key to our success is everything we do is positive and informative. If you want to hear negative news, doom and gloom, there are plenty of alternatives. Yeah. But we focus on the positive. We say we tell stories of service, inspiration, and resilience. And I really believe that's been the key to our success. Well, it's been extremely successful. I see your content. It's consistent. It's great. It's inspiring. Thank you. You know you've hit it right in life. Well, it's like you're podcasting. You're passionate about it. I love what I do. This does not, sure, you know, it's nice to get a paycheck, but I love making an impact and making a positive difference in the life of a stranger. And Allison would, she would be someone, and I think she she was familiar with you. I, I think she would... I'm confident we were both familiar with each other and she and I would have been, I would have been the big sister. She didn't realize she had. She would have loved to be the journalist that you are, that you were continue to be. And more than anything else, just you all were kindred spirits and that you do things to help people and things that go unnoticed. Just little things like, as you mentioned, uh, reading to the blind. I mean, those were the kinds of things that, that Allison did that, you know, she never publicized. She just did it because it was the right thing to do. And you are one of my heroes, and I know you would have been one of hers. And well, I, back at you. And like I said, um, she set the gold standard. And the more I researched her and the more I realized she would just be kind to people. And again, one thing with social media, you do see a lot of grandstanders. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I did this for this, re- you know, and, yeah. and just trying to attract attention. Allison always did what was right because it was the right thing to do. And I know after she passed that you learned even more about her great deeds. The stories that people shared with me that I never knew. I mean, there was a little thing, and I wrote about it in my book. You know, there were stories that people would share. Hey, you know, you may have not have known this, but she did this. And it was like, it melts your heart. It melts your heart. Well, I, I know you've got to run. Always if, remember any, that Allison's yeah. legacy continues. Thank you. In so many of us, so many of us, anyone whose life she touched, we carry that little piece of her with us. You're 100% right. She yep. is. Uh, she's always with us, and she's always inspiring us. And thank you for being on the show and for being such an inspiration to me and everybody that that crosses your path. Well, it was an honor. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks so much. And give give Ace a big hug for me. He's the latest, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, he's he's yes, he is, and he's sound asleep. In fact, I was concerned his snoring might interrupt your audio, but so far so good. Keep up the great work, Andy. Wonderful catching up with you. Thank you, and best to Bill. Take care. Likewise. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's the story. A special acknowledgement to Marianne Kennedy, Pat Bunch, and Pam Rose for allowing me to use their music from Safe in the Arms of Love, 
a song Allison loved. If you liked what you heard, please share my podcast with your friends. And if you really liked what you heard, please consider becoming a contributor to the podcast. I'm Andy Parker, and I'll be here next week with another episode of The Cultural Scavenger. Thanks for listening.